Good morning, Walk Church. Morning. How are you this morning? Everyone good? All right. Uh, my name is Mike, and, and I'm on staff here uh, on the executive leadership team. And uh, I just, just want you to know that I'm, I'm incredibly honored uh, and excited to be here this morning with you and, and to be able to open up God's Word with you and to share a message from the book of Ephesians. Um, I've been at Walk Church for a couple of months now on staff, and and, and I can just see that God is, is really working here in this church. God is truly at work. He's doing some amazing things through some truly wonderful people. Uh, I'm honored to be here. Uh, my wife and I are really excited to be here. Uh, I just want to thank you also for, for making me and my family feel so welcome here uh, in the past couple of months. Uh, we really love you guys. Thank you. I've had a chance to get to know many of you, many of you over the past couple months. And uh, I am looking forward to get, getting to know um, the rest of you over the, the weeks and, and the months ahead. Amen? Uh, also, uh, Pastor Hayden is traveling this weekend, so just want to make sure that we do remember to just keep him in uh, our prayers as he makes his way back to Las Vegas. He also wanted me uh, just to express to you that he truly is sorry that he couldn't be here today, and uh, he said that he will be back next week, um, God willing. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Ephesians chapter 5. I want to talk to you this morning about the wise use of your time. And speaking of, of wisdom, it would be wise for us to, to go back and take a look at where we've been before we jump into this morning's uh, scripture. So we've been walking verse by verse through the book of Ephesians. And uh, when we reached chapter 5, we began a series called Imitate. And this is actually the seventh sermon in this series called Imitate. Um, so I, I really hope that, that over the past... Uh, six weeks, and, and now seven, that you have uh, really had an opportunity to, to, to take these sermons and to apply them to your lives. And, and, I, and, and I know that it's Pastor Hyden's prayer and it's my prayer uh, that you are daily being transformed into the image of God's Son, right? As we seek to imitate God, that we're more and more, day by day, looking like Him. Uh, when we got, uh, we got to Ephesians chapter, um, chapter 5, verse 1, we actually came up with this sermon series called Imitate, and it, it came from verse 1. So let's go ahead and take a moment and read verse 1 of Ephesians chapter 5 together. It's foundational for, for where we're going this morning. Here's what it says. It says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. What, what kind of children are we, church? Beloved. We're beloved children. That's right. We're, we're beloved children. And it's essential for us to keep this in mind, that God loves us, we are his children, because in this series, God is asking us to eliminate some things from our life, right? And, but here's the thing that we need to remember. Our motivation for doing these things, for eliminating things from our life, is not so that we will be accepted by God, right? Our motivation for doing these things in our life is that we are already accepted by God. And like a loving father, God teaches his children, and he says, imitate me, that's God's command. And if, if we are, in fact, God's children, it really should come as no surprise that God has some things to say about the way his children spend their time, right? About the way they behave. I, I don't know about you, but I've got some rules in my house, <laughs> right? My, my kids, you know, they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna follow the family rules. The Bussy family has rules. And so I want to teach my kids those rules, and God's going to teach us his rules as well, what it means to be part of the family. Last week, Pastor Hyden preached the second part of his sermon called Imitation by Illumination. You remember last week, Paul's words to us, they say, at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. 
right? We imitate by illuminating the love of Christ. Jesus Christ shines through us. We're the light of the world. And Paul went, in, went on to say, he said, have no part, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. And then he had some instructions for us. He said, instead, expose them. And so we walk into the room. Christ is shining through us, and we shine some light, and we exposed last week some, some, some unfruitful works of darkness. It was a, it was a, it was a great sermon. Uh, this week, if I was to, to give this week's sermon a title, here's what I would call it. I would call it increasing imitation by decreasing procrastination. Increasing imitation by decreasing procrastination. Now church, this morning, God has some things to say to his children. God is going to turn our attention now to the way we spend our time. Now listen, I just want to make a deal with you this morning. Would you, would you guys just be a church that talks to me this morning? I want to hear from you, all right? So if you say something that I, if I say something that you agree with, you know, say it. If you don't agree, say it. I want to hear from you this morning, amen? Amen. So let's go ahead and read these verses together and then we'll pray. Here's our verses, verses 15 through 17. Here's what it says. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we come before you this morning with our hearts bowed before you. God, we recognize that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. God, you take first place in our lives. You are seated upon the throne of our hearts this morning as your children. God, we love you. God, we want to be like you. We want you to continue working in our lives through your spirit by transforming us into the image of your son. And God, we do want to know your will, and we want to do your will, God. And Father, it's, it's not because we don't want to do your will, God. Sometimes it's difficult for us, Father. And when it's difficult, God, it's because our eyes are, are blurry, God. Father, our hearts have a tendency to grow some, somewhat hard, God, our, our ears are not ears to hear sometimes. So, Father, we pray right now, God, we are dependent upon your grace this morning. We are dependent upon your spirit, God. We pray that you would come and be our teacher. God, we pray that you would even prepare our hearts right now, God, that you would make them soft. God, that you would give us eyes to see the beauty of Christ, God, as we read these scriptures, that you would give us ears to hear what your spirit is teaching us this morning, God. We're just saying right now, God, that we need you. We're dependent upon you. Would you come by your spirit and be our teacher? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So church, as I was uh, studying for the sermon this week, I I came across a story. um, And and it was a story about a guy in Queensland, Australia. And uh, this is a guy who was just trying to impress a girl. And so uh, he found this girl. And and so he came up with a story. He said, this this is my story. I'm sticking to it. He said, um, crocodile, saltwater crocodiles are more likely to, to eat a, a backpacker, they're, they're more likely to eat a tourist than somebody who's a native Australian. And so now the guy's really trying to, trying to get this date with this girl, and so, so what does he do? He, he climbs up on the bridge, over a bridge where there's known to be saltwater crocodiles, and he jumps into the water. And witnesses said that almost immediately, as soon as he hit the water, that he was attacked by a crocodile, it bit his arm, it bit his hand, and he barely escaped with his life. He ended up going to the hospital, and I believe that they were able to save his arm. 
But after he was finally released from the hospital, a reporter heard about the story, and, and, and she went in and she talked to him. And she said, here's what people are saying about you. People are saying that, that, that you have got to be one of the most foolish people in all, all of Australia. If anyone should know that, that you don't drop, jump into a, a river full of crocodiles, it should be you. You're from Australia, right? And, and uh, he said, she said, you should have more wisdom than that. And do you want to know what he said? Here was his response. Here's what he said. Haters going to hate. <laughs> Haters going to hate. Listen, church, there's no wisdom there. Right? This is an unwise person, and, 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 and the reporter saying that you should be wise, it's not enough. You can't just tell an unwise person to be wise. <laughs> and I guess what's even more amazing is that this woman, after he got out of the hospital, she ended up going on a, on a date with him. I'm not sure who's more foolish, but uh, amazing. So listen, church, God is calling us to be wise. Let's go ahead and take a look at verse 15. Here's what it says. It says, look carefully then. Right? Because we're beloved children. He says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Not as unwise, but as wise. Now, I don't, I don't know about you, but if we were to take this verse out of context, I might be tempted to look at the scripture and say, you know what? It's kind of foolish to think that you can just tell an unwise person to be wise. I mean, it seems like a little bit of a ridiculous command from God if, if that's the case. But here's, here's the thing, church. God is not speaking to unwise people and telling them to be wise. God is speaking to wise people and telling them to be wise. Listen, if you are a Christian here this morning, if you have turned from your sin and you have trusted in Jesus Christ as the only basis for your forgiveness, right, you're headed to heaven, right, you know the hope to which you've been called, right, you are a Christian, you have been made wise by, a, by an almighty, all-wise, all-knowing God who through his Holy Spirit comes and indwells the life of every believer, you have been made wise. Paul is writing this letter to wise people, not to foolish people. In fact, our first reality statement is this, it's, it's be wise because you are. Because that's who you are. You're a wise person. You've been made wise by a wise God. Therefore, be who you are. That's, that's the, the flow of Paul's thinking here. And if you've been here for a while, you remember when Pastor Hyden preached Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verses 8 through 10, actually verses 7 through 10. Here, here's, here's what that passage says. Verse 7 says, In him, speaking of Jesus, it says, We have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses, right? We're all about that, church. We've got our sins forgiven. We've been cleansed by, by the blood of Jesus. And how did that happen? It happened according to the riches of his grace. The Bible says that it was a gift from God. God gave us something that we didn't have, and it wasn't meager grace. It wasn't a little, little grace. It was a whole lot of grace. It came from the riches of his storehouse. He gave it to us, and here's what it says. He lavished it upon us in all wisdom and insight. This word lavished here, that means that he gave us more than enough. He gave us way more than was necessary. It was a super, superfluous amount of grace, and he lavished it upon us. And here's something else that he gave us. You see this? Wisdom. And insight, that is a gift from a good God. When the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our heart, he gives us wisdom and insight. And here's what he does. He makes known to us the mystery of his will. Church, do you realize this morning that as we sit here in this place, we are wise people, that God has made known to us the mystery of his will. In the New Testament, the mystery is something that was hidden but now it's been revealed. God himself has revealed it to us. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose. There's another great word. God planned some things. God had a purpose. God had a will. 
he made known to us according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a, what's this word say? A plan. We know God's will. We know God's purpose. We know God's plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on the earth. Right? Church, we have been made wise. Question. Are you a wise person this morning? 2 Timothy chapter 3 says that we have been made wise unto salvation through the scriptures. Are you wise unto salvation? That's my question. I want to know, sitting here this morning, and you just need to check your heart and check yourself and say, am I wise? Am I wise unto salvation? When I die, am I going to go to heaven? We only have so much time on this earth. I hope that you have seen yourself in your lost condition apart from Christ. To borrow from Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says, you were dead. He doesn't say you were sick. He didn't say you sort of didn't really have it all going on, but you do. He says you were, you were dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. But the good news of the gospel says, but God has made us alive in Christ by grace, by a gift. We have been saved, right? We turn from our sin. We acknowledge our sinfulness before a holy God. We acknowledge that if God is to give us what we deserve, we would go straight to hell. And that God gives us salvation as a gift of grace. He makes us alive. He brings life from a place where there was death, right up from the ashes, as we sang this morning. Is that you? Have you come to that place in your, in your life, that realization that apart from Christ, you were lost? Listen, God loves you so much. Do you believe that? God loves you so much. There is no price that he didn't pay. God sent his one and only son. And he didn't send him for good people. You know who he sent him for? Sinners. Right? Christ died for the ungodly, the Bible says in Romans chapter 5. While we were his enemies. He didn't die for us who loved him. He died for us who were his enemies. I just want you to know right now this morning, as you sit here, maybe, maybe you're not wise unto salvation. Maybe you haven't ever acknowledged that. Maybe you have never turned from your sin and turned from your own way and trusted in Jesus Christ. I want you to know that right now, where you're sitting, there's nothing that you have to do. You don't have to pray a prayer. You don't have to walk an aisle. You don't have to raise your hand. Right now, where you're sitting, you can make this decision and you can just say, you know what? He's right. I am a sinner. And if God gave me what I, what I deserved, it would, it would be justice and I would go to hell. So I'm trusting now in the, self, in, in the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross for my sins. You could just right, do it right now where you're sitting. You could say, Jesus, I trust you. I'm trusting in your sacrifice for my sins and that you paid the penalty that I deserved. Are you wise unto salvation? You see, Paul is assuming that in this letter. He's assuming that he's writing to wise people. He's writing to the church. He's writing to believers. He's writing to people who have been made wise. And that's why he says, pay close attention to how you walk. He wants his children to pay close attention to how they walk. That's where the name Walk Church came from, right? It's how you live your life. It's our Christian life. It's our walk. We walk carefully in this world, right? And, and, and here's what he says. I love that Paul doesn't just give, give us these vague ideas of what he means. He's going to give us something to hold on to in verse 16. Here's what he says. He says, here's how you can be wise. Make the best use of your time, right? Making the best use of the time. Why? Because the days are evil. And speaking of the will and the purpose and the plan of God, God has a purpose for you, do you know that, church? Do you believe that? Yes. That God has a purpose and a will and a plan for your life. 
there's something that's deep inside of us. And I think it's, it's deep inside the heart of every person, whether you're a believer or not. You want to discover purpose for your life, and you want to make a difference in this world that's going to last, right? And that's what we do at Walk Church. We say, at Walk Church, we exist to free people to walk in Jesus, and you'll discover your purpose, and you'll make a difference. That's our prayer for you, church. That's what we pray. That's what the leadership team prays for this church. That's my desire for you this morning. And can I just tell you that that's the beauty of the Christian life? Right? God will actually use you to accomplish his will. Listen, church, if you will have ears to hear, if you will have eyes to see, if you will have a heart to understand what God is teaching us this morning, then you will be positioned to be used by God in an extraordinary way, and you will have an opportunity to make a significant impact on this generation. That's my prayer for you this morning, church. And it's so important that we not only understand this, but we apply this to our life. Do you know why? Reality statement number two, because if you waste your time, you're going to waste, what does this say? Your life. If you waste your time, you're going to waste your life. I don't want you to waste your life, church. God has only given you so much time. In eternity past, before time began, God portioned out only so much time for you to live for his kingdom and to accomplish his work in the world. And what you do for God must be done in the time that God has given you. And church, that clock is ticking right now, this very moment. And the impact of, of your life on time and eternity hinges upon the wise use of your time. And here's what I want us to come away with this morning, church. I want, to, I want us to understand that if we are going to glorify God in our life, right, if our life is going to have significant eternal impact, right, then our Christian faith must impact every aspect of our life, and it will intersect at the most practical areas of our day-to-day -day existence, including how we spend our time. Listen, Walk Church, there's nothing more important and nothing more relevant than how you invest your time for the kingdom of God in this lifetime. Amen? Amen. You're, getting, you're getting kind of quiet on me, church. What's going on? Church, this is important. Listen, in the 18th century, there was a man named Jonathan Edwards. You may have heard of him. He's one of the greatest preachers in the history of America, certainly one of the greatest minds that this country has ever produced. He was accepted into Yale Divinity School at the age of 13 at a time when you had to be fluent in Latin and Greek and Hebrew in order to be accepted. He graduated six years later at the top of his class. This man was so powerful that he preached sermons that were partially responsible for starting the great awakening in this country. This man was a powerful man. He had a life that had impact. He had a life that made forever impact in this world. And do you know why his life had such impact? When he was 18 years old, I hope there's some 18-year-olds in this room who will do this. He sat down and he wrote out a, a list of goals for his life. He called them resolutions. And near the very top of that list, resolution number five, here's what it said. It said, resolved, never to lose one moment of time, but improve it in the most profitable way I possibly can. My friends, Jonathan Edwards understood that there is only so much time in this lifetime and that when this life is over, we will pass out of this life out of time, and we will pass into eternity, and we will never get another chance to live this life again. Listen to these verses. Job chapter 14, verse 5. Job speaking of God, it says, a person's days are determined. 
You have decreed. What does decree mean? That's something that a king, a monarch does, right? He sets forth an order, a command. This is what's going to happen. A person's days are determined. You have decreed the number of his months and have set limits that he cannot exceed. Church, we only have so many months. We only have so many days. And we cannot exceed those limits that God has set in place in our life. And therefore, we must live every day as though it was a gift from God. Church, I know this is a challenging word this morning. (laughs) I'm challenged by it. But we need to wake up every day and say, God, what will you have me do today? I know that this day is a gift. I know that this day is, is, my life has limits on it, God. I want to live every moment that I possibly can for you. Therefore, every moment in time is an eternal moment and must be lived for the glory of God. I want to have impact in, in eternity. Listen to this, Psalm 139, 16. Pastor Hyden quoted this last week. Here's what it says. Did you know that God has a book, by the way? God has multiple books. Here's what it says. And in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was none of them. Listen, church, in eternity past, before time began, God ordained the number of days that would be in your life We must use them wisely. Every single day is a gift from a good, loving Father. Last one, Psalm 90, verse 12. This is the oldest psalm in the book of Psalms. It wasn't written by David. It wasn't written by Asaph. It was written by by a really old dude named Moses. (laughs) Moses wrote this psalm. Psalm 90, here's what it says. Speaking to God, he says this. So teach us to number our days. Why? Why? That we may get a heart of wisdom. That we may get a heart of wisdom. Isn't that what we're talking about this morning, church? Listen, God has a book. And in that book are all the number of your days. The entirety of your life is listed in this book. And the reason that we need to number our days so that we can get a heart of wisdom is because God has numbered our days. Church, I know, I know I've said the same thing a couple times here, but every day is a gift from God. We need to recognize that. We must value every moment and time because every moment counts for eternity. There are no ordinary moments. We must make the best use of our time. In fact, that Greek word when it says make the best use of your time, do you know what word that is? Some of our older translations said this. It said redeeming the time because the days are evil. Redeeming the time. That's a cross word. That's a salvation word. The Bible says that, that, that Jesus redeemed us from the slave market of sin. We were slaves, we were dead, and Jesus came and he redeemed us. And so that means that we can go and we can actually take time that belongs to the kingdom of this world. It says, look, the days are evil, right? He says, redeeming the time because the days are evil, we can take that moment back and we can say, this moment belongs to God. Every conversation that we have, every person that we meet, every single day we can look for God-ordained opportunities where we can redeem time and we can make an impact in somebody's life. And then he says, because the days are evil. We live in an evil age. Church, would anybody here in this room disagree with that statement? And here's what, I th- here's what I think Paul means. Here's what I think he's saying. He's saying that Satan is called the ruler of this world, John 12, 31. He's also called the God of this world in 2 Corinthians 4, 4. 
Satan rules a system in this world called the kingdom of this world. That's what it's called. That's what his system is called. You remember in Revelation 1.17, all of the saints are gathered around the throne of God and, and he sees the lamb and here's what they're worshiping and singing a song. They sing a new song to him and here's what they say. They, they say, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he has taken his great power and begun to reign. Church, here's what that's saying. That's saying that in the end, Jesus wins, right? Isn't that something that we say around here? It's biblical. (laughs) Jesus wins. The kingdom of this world becomes the kingdom of our God and of his Christ. 2,000 years ago, Jesus came proclaiming the kingdom of God. He says, the kingdom of God has come. He says, repent and believe the gospel. That's our responsibility. And now, 2,000 years later, the church is advancing that kingdom. The kingdom of God is advancing in this world. And God uses the church. And here's what it says. It says in Matthew 16, 18, it says, The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Do you realize that gates are a defensive position? You put up gates when you don't want someone to come in. And the kingdom of God is advancing against the kingdom of this world. The church is advancing against hell. And hell is not going to be able to withstand the attack of the kingdom of God. We're kingdom people. God is going to, yeah, we can clap for that. Let's clap. Listen, Walk Church, we're kingdom people. We are Walk Church. This is the church. We are advancing the gospel. We are advancing the kingdom of God in our city, in our community, in this world. We won't stop. We won't give up. We recognize that every moment is an opportunity for us to move the kingdom forward. And here's the awesome thing. Here's the awesome thing, church. God will use me. That's God will use you. God wants to use you. God has a will, a purpose, and a plan for your life. And he wants to use you, but we must redeem the time. Kim Jong-un will say that Christianity is outlawed. It's illegal. You can't make disciples here. But Jesus, when he died, before he ascended, here's what he said. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. How much authority is that? All authority. And and who is he? He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So when we have somebody here on this planet who tells us that we can't make disciples, we can't preach the gospel, we say we have a higher authority. We have somebody who's the king of kings, the Lord of lords, who has all authority in heaven and on earth. He's given me a, a clear and direct command to make disciples. And so we don't pay any attention to that. And that's why there's missionaries in North Korea and there's missionaries in Iran, in Iran making disciples there, risking their life because we have a higher authority. And so that's what I think that means. We redeem the time because the days are evil. We know the age in which we live. So here's, here's some practical ways that I think that we can live the scripture out. Number one, let me just say this. We have to work. <laughs> we have to live our lives, right? Listen, it's, it's a godly thing for you to go to work and for you to earn a living for your family. You need to bring home a paycheck and you need to provide for your family. That's godly. It's one of the most godly things that you can do. So let me just put everyone at ease by saying that. Also, we need to rest, right? That, that's something that God commanded us to do. It's important. If we don't rest, we're going to break down. And that's not a godly thing to do, right? So listen, we need to work. We need to rest. Okay? I want to put everyone at ease. But we can also redeem the time. And here's a question that I want to ask you. Has the kingdom of God come upon you? Is there a king and is, is his name Jesus? And is he sitting on the throne of your heart? That's what I want to know. Yes. Yeah? Good, man, that, that praise God. So here's what we can do. Here's something practical. If the kingdom of God has come upon you, then you can begin to advance the kingdom and your sphere of influence. 
right? As, as a husband and a father, I can, I can advance the kingdom in my home, right? I can say, the kingdom of God has come upon me, and the kingdom of God has come upon my home. And as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I can begin to drive out anything in my home that's ungodly, right? I can think of, of Adam who was passive, and he should have driven the snake, the serpent, out of the Garden of Eden. We're not going to be passive, church. We're going to be strong. We're going to advance the kingdom in our homes, first of all, right? That's the first thing that we can do. Second, we can sit down and we, and, we, and we can make some plans. That's biblical. We need to sit down with a journal and we need to write some things down. What do we want to accomplish for the kingdom of God? What do I want, what do I want to accomplish, first of all, in my family? What, what do I want to accomplish for my wife, for my husband? What do I want to accomplish for my kids, for the kingdom? What do I want to accomplish for college for my kids? How about for retirement? Listen, we can get very practical about the way we spend our time and the plans that we make and advancing the kingdom, Right? What are God's plans for your home? Have you thought about that? You can sit down and you can write out, God, this is what I want to happen in my home. Have you ever thought about that God has strategically placed you in your neighborhood? Say, God, what do you want me to do with my neighbors? Why have you placed me here in this neighborhood, God? How do you want me to, to respond? What is your plan for my neighbors? What is your plan for your small group? I, I hope you're going to a charge group here at, at Walk Church. I mean, one of the things that we can do, we can do really practical stuff, right? We can get to know people. I can, we can say, hey, when is your birthday? When is your anniversary? And we can write those things down and we can call someone and say, hey, man, happy birthday. You know, God gave you life and I'm thankful for you. Happy anniversary. You know, these are just ways that we can encourage each other. You know, those are kingdom moments. Those are redeeming the time opportunities. You know, even pastors need encouragement, Right? And a church encourages their pastors when they respond to the preaching, when they respond to, to God's word. And here's something that, you, that we all need to realize. Listen, we will always have time. I know that we're busy. We will always have time to do what God is calling us to do. Amen? Amen. We will always have time to do what God is calling us to do. And we're going to have to make some decisions in our lives. And we're going to have to make some decisions between good and better and better and best. And listen, we don't have time for the good things. We don't even have time for the better things. We only have enough time in this life for what is best. We need to live every day like it's our last day. We need to live every hour as if it's our last hour. Listen, church, I know that this is a hard word. But imagine if you woke up every day and said, God, is this my last day? Is this my last hour? If it is, God, here's how I want to live. What do you want me to do today? How can I glorify and honor you? Jonathan Edwards made this resolution, number seven, right? Here's what he said. He said, resolved never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. If you only had one hour to live, what would you do? Are there some people in your lives that you would want to just tell them that you love them? Is there some sin in your life that you would want to get out of your life? Is, are there some things that you would want to repent of? Are there some people that you know that you'd want to give a witness to for Christ because when you pass into eternity, you want to see their face again. Live every hour, make every conversation as, as if it was your last one. Redeem the time, make the best use of your time. Every day, every encounter you have with somebody, every conversa conversation has the possibility of being a conversation that will impact eternity. One last quote from Jonathan Ed Edwards. Here's what he says, resolution number 50. He says, resolved, I will act so as I think I shall judge would have been best and most prudent when I come into the future world. Here's what he's saying. 
He's saying, when I pass out of this life and when I pass out of time into eternity, when I'm standing before God, when I'm standing before the community of the redeemed, when I'm standing before the heavenly hosts, whatever I will wish that I would have done in my lifetime at that moment, that's the way I want to live now. That's the way I want to live today. Church, that's, there's such wisdom there. We need, to, we need to start with the end in mind. We need to start with the end in view, and we need to chart the plot right, and plot the course of our life back to the present day, starting today. We can't go back, can't go backwards. i got to start with today. So starting in eternity, let's work our way back. How should I live my life? All right. Here's, here's the third reality statement. If you live in light of eternity, your life will have maximum impact. That's why Paul says in verse 17, he says, therefore, do not be foolish, right? There's two commands here in the scripture. One, don't be foolish. Don't do it, church. But contrasting conjunction here, we're going to do something different than that. Here's what we're not, that's what we're not going to do. Here's what we're going to do. Here's, he says, here's the command, understand what the will of the Lord is. Church, how many people in, in this room have just said, man, I just wonder what God's will is for my life? <laughs> I think we've all asked that question, and, and I think that's a great question to ask. And, and here's the thing. I, I would go so far as to say that everyone in this room wants to know what God's will is for their life. I would even say that we would even want to do God's will. Listen, here, here's how the psalmist puts it. He says in Psalm 40, verse 8, he says, I delight to do your will. I love to do your will, O God. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. Jesus said in John 4.34, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. That's Jesus saying, this is my very life. This is why I live. Jesus prayed in the garden. He says, not my will, but your will be done. And so we have the command not to be foolish, right? What's the opposite of foolishness? Somebody tell me. Wise, right? Wisdom. Don't be foolish. In other words, what he's saying is be wise. And so how do we do that? He's saying understand what the will of the Lord is. Now listen, I understand that it's easy for me to get up here and tell you, <laughs> understand what the will of the Lord is. But let me just give us a few scriptures and, and maybe a little test that we, can, that we can put these different decisions that we have to make in our life. We're, I'm going to give us some, some scriptures. I'm going to give us six questions that we can ask of every situation in our life so we can understand what the will of God is. Listen, we have choices to make in our marriages. We have choices to make as to where we're going to live in this world, in this country. We have choices where our kids are going to go to college. We have lots of choices in this world. What, what am I going to invest in? And I think that we can ask these questions of all of these things. We, would, we try to figure out what paths God wants us to walk down. God gave us some tools. But let me, just, let me just make a little disclaimer here, and let me say this. When you're trying to figure out what God's will is for your, for your life, there is an element of faith here, Right? The Bible says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so you've got to sit down and you've got to write some things down. You've got to make some plans. And then you need to go and you need to ask God, God, is this what you want me to do in my life? Listen, I'll admit that finding the will of God really is more of an art than a science. But God has given us some tools. So let's talk about some of those by asking some questions. The first question we always want to ask when we're trying to figure out God's will is this. Number one, is it biblical? Is it biblical? What are the biblical boundaries? Let's look at Psalm 119, verses 29 through 34. Here's what it says. The psalmist prays, put false ways 
far from me and graciously teach me your, everyone say law. 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 That's another word for the, for the Bible, right? It's another word for the scriptures. He says, I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies. Oh, Lord, let me not be put to shame. I will run in the way of your commandments. You see, these are all synonyms for the scriptures. It says, when you enlarge my heart, teach me, O God, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Look at these words. Law, way of faithfulness, rules, testimonies, commandments, statutes. Listen, is it biblical? That's the first question we need to ask. Is it biblical? Bob wants to marry Susie. Is it biblical? Yes or no? Someone tell me. Is it biblical? Can Bob marry Susie? It's a trick question. (laughs) The answer is it depends. It depends. Is Susie married already? Like, is Susie a believer? Right? The Bible says that we're not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, right? Let's ask some questions first. All right? Question number two. How about this one? What are my motives? What are my motives? Because you know it is possible to do the right thing. It can even be biblical. But if you do the right things with the wrong motivations, God knows. Here's what it says in 1 Corinthians 4 or 5. It says, therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time. Right? We look at what somebody does and we say, oh, man, awesome. That's great. Do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Listen, commendation is a good thing. That's a good word, church. God is going to commend us. God is going to reward us, not only by whether or not it was biblical, but he's going to say, what were the purposes of his heart in making that decision? What are our motives? Or how about this one? Proverbs 16.2 says this, All of the ways are man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. God checks our heart, so we need to check our heart. Here's the third question we can ask. What do I want to do? What do I want to do? Listen, church, remember, we are wise people. God made known to us the mystery of his will. He made us wise. God's Holy Spirit is living inside of us. God gives us good desires. He gives us kingdom desires. So I want to ask myself, what do I want to do? What are my desires? 2 Thessalonians 1, 11 and 12 says this. It says, with this in mind, Paul, Paul speaking to the, to the church at Thessalonica, here's what he says. We constantly pray for you. That's nice. The Apostle Paul is praying for this church. He says that our God may make you worthy of his calling. Church, that's what we want to do. We want to live our life worthy of the calling that God has called us with, right? We want to walk wisely. He says, and that by his power, by God's power, here's here's Paul's prayer, by God's power that he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so that the name of the Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's prayer is that God would fulfill every desire that we have in our heart for goodness and our every deed prompted by faith. What do I want to do? What are my desires? How about this one? Uh, Psalm 37, 3 and 4 says this. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you. I love this. Does anyone else love this or is it just me? Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Man. Man. Is that good or what? Listen, God puts new desires inside of us. 
I can look back over the course of my life and I can say, you know what, man, there were, there were times in my life when I really desired something. I really wanted it and it was good and it was godly and my motives were good. And you know what God did? God brought those things into fruition in my life. And he's done it again and again and again. And I could just give you testimony after testimony. And it's powerful. What do I want to do? And I love this one. Proverbs 16.9 says this. The heart of a man plans his way. That's why we need to come up with plans, right? We need to make some plans, church. But what happens? Someone tell me. The Lord establishes his steps. We come up with plans. God establishes the steps. God is, is working in our desires. Man, thank you, God. Number four, question number four, and I've got six total. Here's, here's question number four. What do I think God wants me to do? Not only what do I want to do, but what do I think God wants me to do? James 1.5 says, says, if any of you lacks wisdom, there's our topic, that's what we're talking about, that's what we want. He says, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Man, that is a promise from God's word, James 1.5, that is powerful. Hey, what does God want us to do in this situation? Let's ask him. Let's go to the Lord, let's ask him. Here's the thing, God is, is a good father, right? God loves us. God gives his Holy Spirit to us, and do you know what one of his names is? Anyone? Counselor. Counselor. He's a counselor. We can go and we can ask God. The promise from God's word is he will give us wisdom and the Holy Spirit will counsel us. What does God want me to do? 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 11 through 12 say this. Paul is speaking. He's, he's considering what, he, what his plans are. Paul's made some plans. Okay? He says, when I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord. Have you ever heard someone say that there was an open door? I'm praying for God to open up a door for me. That's biblical, right? It says, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, what does it say here? My spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went to Macedonia. Listen, one of Jesus' names is the Prince of Peace. So when you ask God what he wants you to do, God might open up a door for you, but God will give you peace. And if he doesn't give you peace, then don't do it. That's one of the ways that we can figure it out. Number five, what are circumstances prompting me to do? What are circumstances in my life prompting me to do? There's an opportunity for me to get another job. There's an opportunity for a promotion here. There's an opportunity while I'm still young to have more kids. What does God want me to do? 1 Corinthians 16, verses 8 and 9 say this, but I will stay in, Eph in Ephesus until Pentecost. Paul's making more plans, right? I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. Why, Paul? Why are you going to do that? Because a wide door for effective work has been opened to me. So Paul is saying here, he says, a wide door of effective work has opened to me, and I have peace about it, and so I'm going to decide to stay here. But look, just because we have a spirit of peace, we shouldn't expect for things to be peaceful, right? God might call you to do something that's hard. God might call you to do something that people are going to oppose. But God will give you a spirit of peace in the midst of it. Look what it says. And there are many adversaries. I'm thinking if, if I'm Paul, I'm going, there's a wide door and there's many adversaries. So that's not the door God wants me to walk through. Right? I'm going to walk through the other door. There was, a, there was a wide door open, but I couldn't find Titus. But at least there was no adversaries there. You see... God will give us peace even in the midst of turmoil and adversaries who oppose you. 
The enemy is always going to oppose God's plans. Always. But that doesn't mean that that's not God's will for your life. Last, last one, question number six, and maybe the most important. What do wise Christians think I should do? What do wise Christians think I should do? Proverbs 15, 21 through 22 says this, Folly is a joy to him who lacks sense. <laughs> Listen, maybe that's the testimony of your life. Like, I'm just a, I'm, I have a lack sense. I make bad decisions. I don't know what to do a lot of times. He says, but a man of understanding walks straight ahead without counsel, right? There it is. Counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. How many advisors, by the way? How many? Many. We need many advisors. We need to get around some Christian people who have some wisdom, and we need to say, hey, I'm thinking about moving to Tennessee. (laughs) What do you think I should do? I'm thinking about getting married. What do you think I should do? And we need to ask a few people, and we need to expect God to confirm what we should do through wise counsel. And and let me just conclude by by saying this. There may be some young people in this room today, and and I hope there are some young people in this this room today. And, And it would be my prayer that you would be able to look back on this day, November 3rd, 2019, as a day that you decided to live your life for maximum effectiveness for the kingdom of God that today would be a day in your life with, like Jonathan Edwards, you would say, I'm resolved to never let one moment of time pass. Every moment in time is a kingdom opportunity. I'm going to redeem the time and I'm gonna live my life for the kingdom of God. And that when you pass into eternity, your reward will be great in heaven because you redeemed the time. That's my prayer for you this morning. And maybe there's some older people here who you've lived this verse out. This is the story of your life. You redeem the time. You've lived for Christ your whole life. You've done some great things for the kingdom. And to you, I just applaud you and I want to say keep up the good work. Don't give up. Don't grow weary while doing good. But it's, it's possible that there's some older people in this room today in the best years in terms of the way that they think have already passed. The majority of their life has already passed by. I just want to encourage you this morning. There is grace for you in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says that today is the day that the Lord has made. We can rejoice knowing that there is grace from the riches of God's grace where he can give you grace upon grace. And he can, as Joel 2.25 says, it says that he can restore the years that the locusts have eaten. That is a promise from God. That is a promise from God. We can walk out of this room feeling good knowing that that we serve a good God. Two verses later, here's here's what he says. I just want you to know that the intimacy in the last years of your life can be greater than you ever imagined. It can be greater than all of the previous years of your life. Do you believe that? You can have greater intimacy with God in these final years. Here's what he says, Joel 2.27. He says, you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and there is none else and my people shall never again be put to shame you can have greater intimacy with God in these final years of your life. That's a promise from God. You can ask him that. And the last thing I would say to you is that God can supernaturally multiply the fruitfulness of your life in these final years. I remember the the parable that Jesus told about the seed that fell on soil, and there was some seed that fell on bad soil, but there was some seed that fell on good soil. And I pray that your heart would have good soil this morning. And, and here's what Jesus said. He, said. he said, that seed can produce some 30, some 60, some 100-fold. 
And I believe this morning, church, if that's you, that you can ask God right now, God, would you make the final years of my life hundredfold years? And church, I believe that that is a prayer that God will honor. I believe that that is a prayer that God will answer. As a matter of fact, I don't even think you need to be old to pray that prayer. I think that you need to be young to pray that prayer. God, make my life a hundredfold life. Make my life productive for your kingdom. And so when I receive my commendation from you, God, that my commendation and my reward in heaven would be great and that I'll be able to look back on my life and say I made a difference. I discovered my purpose. I made a difference for Christ. Let's pray.